The Metal Mentality Podcast is brought to you in partnership with AM300 and the Phoenix Project. For more information on both, check out am300.com slash metal. It's time for you to be the you that you know you can be and define your metal. My name is Preston Yule, and I'm the host of the Metal Mentality Podcast. I'm a husband, a father, and American soldier. What is metal? It's your strength of character that you rely on to endure hardship. It's your grit. Together we'll learn from some dedicated, passionate, metal-minded individuals who define themselves by their grit and their graduation from suffering. Be metal. Stay metal. You're listening to the Metal Mentality Podcast. Now, here's your host, Preston Ewell. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on your on your podcast player you're listening to right now. And then copy and paste the link or hit that little box with the arrow that points up, the send button, and send a copy of this episode to someone you know who's going through a hard time. Because we all need help at some point in our lives. And I guarantee every single one of us knows someone who's struggling right now. We need that help to get through it. Because that's the whole point of this show is to help each other become better than we were yesterday. So send a link to someone that needs some help. Good news, everyone. Guess what we have? T-shirts. Be metal. Stay metal. Metal Mentality T-shirts are available for purchase. You buy one, you get one free for you to give to someone that you want to show your support to who's going through a difficult time that could really use a boost to knowing that they're cared about. Got the show logo on the sleeve here, American flag on the on the other sleeve here. And I, I can't show you this because I'm not an expert, but if you see this right here, this is the American flag. It's the same way we wear them on the uniform where it looks like it's facing backwards, but it actually means always pressing forward because that's what we do. We always press forward no matter how hard things get. So. If you want to get a t-shirt, you want to support the program, you want to show your support for someone, get one of our t-shirts on our website, mentalmentality.org. All right. So, man, I am so excited today. My guest may be one of the most resilient and inspirational people we have ever met. My guest today is a retired combat veteran who was a helicopter door gunner that was shot down. And as a result of that, had to have her leg amputated. But that has not slowed her down. In fact, I would say that it has activated her superpowers because she does more with one leg than I will probably ever do. And most of us with two legs will ever do. I want It's a pleasure and it is an honor to introduce to you today, Kirstie Ennis. Kirstie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being here. Your your story is truly, it's more than just inspirational. I don't know a word that's stronger than inspirational. It just it's makes me just want to aspire to be better because you've accomplished so many things with one leg. And I have two, and I'm incredibly lazy. And I think after this, I'm going to have to make some serious life changes because <laughs> I'm no longer going to have any excuses or valid reasons for, for not doing more. Uh, before we get into this, though, uh, Kirsty, how can listeners follow you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's just my name, Kirsty Ennis. Um, But to follow along with what I'm doing with my foundation, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's real original. It's the Kirsty Ennis Foundation. Awesome. So if you want to make a donation to that, I highly encourage it, or just check out what she's doing. Her mission to help other nonprofits is unique, and it's inspiring. So be sure to check that out. Before we get into your story, I want to ask you the most important question that everyone comes to the show for is, what is your opinion on Bigfoot? My opinion on Bigfoot? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) I think he's out there somewhere. It has to be. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever find him. I'm not sure anyone will ever find him, but I think he's out there somewhere. I hope I never find him. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I agree with you. There's something out there. I don't know what it is. But uh, so, like I said, that's the most important question we come to, the listeners come here for, jokingly. But my mom, I think my mom is my most faithful listener. And I think she probably accounts for half of the downloads and the listens. So uh, I know you're listening to this mom. <laughs> you and she gave me this t-shirt i'm wearing right now oh perfect and, and she asked me to wear it she said i got this for you when you're doing your interviews so i promised her i'd work for one of these and it's that <laughs> today so but no let's let's get into to your story and your city where did where do we begin where would you like to start unpack who kirstianus is growing up what led you to join the military and let's just take it start there yeah um so my mom and my dad uh, got married at uh, 19 years old, and shortly after my, jet, my dad joined the Marine Corps, and gosh, it would have been eight years later, um, I'm already born, my family's living on 29 Palms um, out in California, and my mom comes home and tells my dad, you know, I, I think these female Marines are, are pretty badass, and my dad looks at my mom and says, I will never be married to a female Marine, to which my mom turns around, leaves goes to the recruiter's office, gets an age waiver, and joins the Marine Corps, leaving me at home with my dad while she went to boot camp. So growing up, I was just so lucky to have these, in my opinion, you know, these two superheroes raise me. You know, I watched my mom and my dad both get up every single morning, put the uniform on, and do something bigger than themselves. And I knew from a very, very early age that I wanted to give them a reason to be proud of me, like I was, I was proud of them. Um, so... I was always a little too smart for my own good, I guess you could say. Um, always got phenomenal grades in school, but I was always up to no good. Um, got in a little bit of trouble here and there, but I ended up... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ended up um, we don't get into that. I really... Go on. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, you're good. Um, I ended up graduating high school at 15 and did two years of community college um, in Pensacola, Florida. And at 17, I just remember looking around this chemistry lab and thinking, you know, it's, it's my time. You know, I don't, I don't want to finish college right now. I, it's, it's time for me to leave this small town in Florida um, and join the military. And I came home and told my mom that, that I was ready to go. And she signed almost immediately. Um, but to get my dad to sign the paperwork, I actually had to lie through my teeth and tell him that I would do a desk job uh, like supply or admin. And um, long story short, the day that my dad dropped me off for boot camp, my recruiter casually said, you know, this is great. I've never put a female in for this type of job. And uh, I don't think my dad talked to me for the entire 13 weeks of boot camp after that. But I ended up spending... The opposite, the opposite of, a, of the desk job. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I ended up spending six years in the Marine Corps uh, as a helicopter door gunner and airframes mechanic. So yeah, the furthest thing from a desk job. And did two deployments to Afghanistan. And on my second deployment... Uh, my helicopter went down right outside of uh, Ford Operating Base in Alzad, so in the southern Helmand province. And as you said, as a result of the helicopter going down, I sustained some pretty severe injuries, you know, lost the left leg pretty high, traumatic brain injury, fractures in my spine, damage to my arms, my ears, my eyes. And um, and as a result of that, I was, I was forced into a medical retirement. And to me, that was probably the most devastating blow of all of my injuries. Um, you know, physically, I knew that I was going to be able to overcome anything. But when I had that purpose, um, so to speak, pulled out from underneath me, I, I really struggled. You know, I had, to, I had to do some soul searching to figure out how I was going to continue serving people beyond just military service. So um, in a nutshell, that's how I kind of got to where I am now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, 
you know, the, the military taught me so much and I'm forever grateful. I, I, I miss it every single day. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you can see, I still have all my medals on the wall and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the Marine Corps was the biggest chapter of my life that like, got, to me, got me to where I am now. So when your helicopter went down, what was your initial reaction? It was, it was strange because so when we went outbound that, uh, that afternoon, we were actually supposed to leave later in the night. Um, and, and most times I was on you know, night operations or night missions. And when we got to where, essentially where we were going, we were going to drop three army medics off at Nauzad, kick out a bunch of supplies. Um, and then we were going to go to a port operating base called Muscala and pick up some Marines there that kind of got into a sticky, sticky situation. And unfortunately, we never made it to Musicla. Um, and I just remember with my night vision goggles down, looking at the ground, um, and you know, I can't back away from this 50 caliber machine gun. It's on the GAU 21 mount, so it's huge. It's as big as I am. And um, I can't go anywhere until my pilots basically say crash is imminent. So in the moment where it's like you have that pitting feeling, like you still are very much so committed to your job and you're staying present and you're just, you're, you're, you're doing what you have to do. Um, and it was strange because I knew we were going to hit the ground, but in my mind, I just watched the ground and counted as if I would when the helicopter was landing safely, you know, five, four, three, two, one mains on deck. And as soon as like I got duck out, you know, in my head, I mean, we hit the ground. And I mean, it, it was strange. I was knocked out. I had a whole bone through my face. Again, obviously fractures in my spine, broken nose, uh, a whole just <laughs> conglomerate of, of injuries. And I didn't feel any of it though. Like I was in so much shock as to what happened. There was no pain. Um, and I just heard some, some chatter. My two pilots in the front had basically not gotten a reaction from my tail gunner. And in my mind, I just wanted to know where he was. I wanted to know that he was okay. So I just started screaming, um, probably not the best thing to do in that situation, but I just started screaming to get a response from him. And the moment that I heard that they had found them and that you know, he was alive, that's when it was, you know, everything turned inward. And that's when I actually started to realize like, oh my God, your, your jaw's gone, your teeth are gone. And it was weird because I, I could feel all the blood and I could, you know, I started to feel my leg, but in my mind, I wasn't that hurt. It was, I wasn't hurt. They were just going to sew me up and whatever. And I'd go right back to it the next day. So it was just this weird sensation of, I guess, I mean, by definition, it would just be pure shock. Mm. Wow. It there's so much in there that you do, that you just mentioned. And I, I think a lot of times your training kicks in um, and it becomes, it's almost like a muscle memory and, and maybe it's shock too, maybe a combination of both. Um, but I'm thinking about in my own military career, um, I've never experienced anything even close to that, but um, you worry about the people that you serve with more than yourself. And that, and that's what I'm hearing you say is you were most, most worried about your tail gun or not aware like you were seriously injured. And then you, you had that selflessness where you were concerned for him. And I think that's, that's, uh, very indicative of a, of a effective, positive leader. Um, were you in a leadership role at that time or what was, what was your, your role you were in? Yeah. So I was just one of the door gunners. Um, you know, I, well, and it, it was kind of, kind of wild too, because I had just been combat meritoriously promoted to sergeant. 
I, you know, I had a couple different hats that I wore in the Marine Corps, like from the mechanic aspect of it, you know, I was um, a, a CDI. So basically there's the mechanic, there's somebody that goes in and checks the work and then there's, you know, quality assurance representative basically. So I, you know, I had my shop that, you know, I helped manage with my gunnery sergeant and stuff like that. But I mean, in that moment, like when you're on the helicopters, everyone plays such a vital role. Like my pilots can't be successful without the gunners in the back. We are the eyes, the ears, everything for the pilots. And, and obviously kind of, kind of to your point, like I, I want to know that those guys are going to protect me just as I'm protecting them. And it, and it really is every single, every, there's not a doubt in my mind that if the roles were reversed, that he would be the one looking for me as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, I don't, I don't know what I would have done if, if they wouldn't have found him. I mean, I think that would have been more devastating to me than even losing my leg. Yeah. Oh, and I think leaders, being a leader is, is not just an assigned role or a title or, or position. I think it's, it's, it's an attitude uh, that you demonstrate through your actions. And so anyone can be a leader. You don't have to be assigned that position. And the show isn't particularly about leadership, but leadership is, I think when we're striving to become better than, than we were yesterday, part of that is we have to be a leader. And, and when we're doing that, sometimes people aren't watching or they're watching us and we're not aware of it. And we're silently leading them by our actions. And I, and I think that that's uh, a lot of things. That's something that we, we often overlook is we're always being watched. And it's important that we are always setting a, a tone and an example that we want to when people reflect on us and their perception of us, that it's a positive one. And that's something I try to instill in my kids is, and teach them. And I'm not perfect at it, but being trying to show them a better way to do things than, than uh, they may understand to change their perspective. Because if, if you have that perspective shift, um, you can see things as they truly are. Absolutely. Well, so after you, you, how long was the recovery process? Um, the, the, medical side of things would you say and to talk a little bit about that yeah um gosh so i mean I, my recovery is is, is ongoing um, honestly but as far as like the very intense you know surgeries and all of all of that i mean i lived two years at naval medical center san diego i've endured 44 surgeries every therapy that you can think of of course mental health the whole nine but i mean the reality is every single day is I mean, it's recovery. Like I'm still learning to this day how to adapt to my prosthetic or how to overcome pain. Or, I mean, I still go to speech therapy for crying out loud. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's always, I think it's always going to be there. It's always going to be a part of my life. Yeah. I, I think the emotional side of it too, is there a, a trauma piece that you deal with or, and how has that affected you? How, how do you handle that? Yeah. I mean, so again, I mean, I'm, I'm an open book and I'm totally transparent with all of that. And I mean, I still, I, again, still see a therapist and one's a psychiatrist and one's a psychologist and there's two totally different therapies that they treat me with. But you know, in the, in the very beginning of my recovery, I struggled in a bad way and it wasn't necessarily from the helicopter crashing. It was more so the helicopter crash was this catalyst for me to think about some other things that had happened on deployments learning how to justify some things that maybe I wasn't so proud of that I had to do on deployments um, and really trying to like dig through what my values were and, and really 
I mean, I think we all know, like obviously war can, can have some everlasting scars. And so I had to, I had to patch those up. I had to work through them. And, um, I think that was the hardest part of any of it. You know, you can sit here and you can look at me and you can see the scars that, you know, cover my body. But the reality is, is it wasn't the physical side of things that was complicated. It, it was definitely the, the emotional and the mental side of things. You know, you deal with guilt, you deal with on one hand, why me? And then again, digging through losing that purpose. Um, and you really do, you have to lose yourself to be able to, to find out who you're going to be, especially after some of these traumatic events. Yeah. And to lose yourself, to re redefine who you are is if you don't like who you are already, or if you're enduring something you feel like you can't overcome, I think that that's the key. You just have to let go of that piece that you're holding on to, And I think you're the epitome of that. Um, you, you've lost your purpose. You said, and if you don't know, people don't know who you are. I don't know how to introduce who you are now versus that because you've accomplished so much with you. You have your nonprofit foundation, the Kirstie Annis foundation. Um, you let's talk about some of your other things that you've done. How you, well, rather than me doing it, why don't you just tell us yeah. done? <laughs> what, what, how did you use this as a catalyst for good? How did you redefine who you are and, and find that purpose again? So actually when I was still in the hospital, gosh, it would have been probably 2013. Um, an organization came into my hospital room and said, hey, you know, how do you feel about learning a winter sport? Well, being from Florida, I didn't know anything about winter or snow or mountains, any of it. Um, but I was really just willing to do anything if it got me out of the hospital. Um, so I went to my doctors and they, and they medically cleared me to sit ski. Um, but when I arrived in Breckenridge, Colorado, no one asked me for a medical clearance. Uh, so I started looking around. I'm like, you know what? Snowboarding looks really cool. Uh, and I ended up picking up snowboarding super quick, started competing alongside Team USA and Border Cross and Bank Slalom. And eventually it just, it wasn't enough. Because um, to your point, uh, you know, sure it was self-serving and I was being able to challenge myself physically, but it, it was still missing this key component of, of being of service to other people. Um, so I decided that I was going to kind of step away from competing and just throw myself into big mountains. And um, over time, I came up with this idea to do the seven summits, so the highest peak on each of the seven continents. And behind each, each of these peaks, I mean, obviously, I would climb up. The ones that I can, I snowboard down. But behind all of them, I've raised money for different nonprofits and just awarded grants through my foundation using that. So, so again, it's still that, that means of being able to challenge myself and prove to myself what I'm actually capable of. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's climbing with you know, passion and purpose and, and just for people. Um, so my first one was actually in March of 2017. I went down to Kilimanjaro, the highest point in Africa, and we ended up raising about $150,000 for clean water for the East Tanzanians. And that's really when I realized that, you know, there, there could be something to this. And I mean, I got the climbing bug then and there. I just haven't stopped. And, and now I go all over the world climbing and helping nonprofits in third world countries. And then, of course, veteran organizations here back stateside. So you've, you've summited Kilimanjaro, is that right? You've summited um, Denali, right? I attempted Denali. So in 2018, we took the first all women veterans team up. Unfortunately, we got pinned with weather for 17 days at 14,000 feet. Um, so we ended up going up to about 18,200, and then we had to turn around because of the weather and just lack of time. So. And then, so you'll, I'm sure you'll be back. Like that's, yes. yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a failure. That was the first attempt, right? That's and then... Have you attempted Everest as well? I attempted Everest in April and May of 2019, so last year. Um, 
made it to the South Summit. So about 600 feet from the proper sexy summit, you know, the Hollywood Summit, if you will. Man, on one leg. On one leg. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I need to step up my game. <laughs> oh, you're, where did this resiliency come from inside of you? Where did you find it? I mean, honestly, I wasn't always resilient. Um, I, in the beginning of my recovery, I had a really, really hard time. And again, I, you know, as we were talking about digging through the emotional side of things, um, I actually, um, on my first alive day, my, my anniversary of getting hurt, I actually ended up, I decided that I didn't want to live anymore. I tried to take my own life and um, I'll never forget the moment that my father came to me with tears in his eyes. As he, as he said, you've got to be shitting me. The enemy couldn't kill you and now you're going to do it for them. And that's the moment. That's the first time in, the, in my recovery that I took a step back and looked at my life and, and really asked myself, is, it, is this who you want to be? Are you proud of the person that you are right now? Um, and that's when I started to really started, you know, shifting my perspective. You know, I could be really upset and angry that I lost my leg. I lost years of my life to the hospital. I lost my memory. I lost my military career. I had lost all of these things at such an early age, but I decided to look at what I've gained. And because of my injuries and these terrible things that had happened to me, you know, I've gained people and experiences and opportunities. I have this new platform to be able to inspire people and had these bad things not happened. I wouldn't have any of that. Um, so seriously, I mean, June 23rd, 2013, a year after my injury was when I really realized that I, I needed to find that resiliency. It was in here. I just hadn't tapped into it yet. Um, and so the moment that I decided to start living my life for the people who never made it home and the people who are still, still here with us, um, was when everything changed. When I stopped focusing on my pain and, and my suffering and stop inflicting it on other people, that's when my, you know, it all dissipated. You know, my issues didn't seem like issues anymore when I started focusing on what I could do for other people. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where it stems from. Wow. I'm, I'm speechless right now. Um, <laughs> truly, I don't, I don't, it's incredible. I, what I found is when I'm struggling and I'm suffering, I don't have to have it all together to help someone else. I don't have to have everything figured out. I don't have to be able to write the book on how to overcome this. Um, but if I, and maybe use a book as an analogy, if I'm just a paragraph ahead or a sentence ahead of somebody else who's going through something, um, I can still turn to them and say, Hey, try this. And, and when you step outside of yourself and make someone else a priority. I think that that's not only where we heal, but that's where we, we grow as individuals. And that's truly how we become better people and become better versions of ourselves. And what you've done outside of yourself uh, speaks volumes of your character. And I've, and I've said many times before um, in regards to the show, I'm not interested in interviewing accomplishment. I want to interview character. And that's why I truly wanted to reach out to you. The character that you have uh, is quite unparalleled. To, I don't know of anybody else who has done so much for someone else while they are themselves um, would be considered you know, disabled or broken or, I don't mean, I'm not trying to put labels on you, but uh, suffering and, and still have an ongo ongoing recovery, but you're still looking back and saying like, Hey, look, 
like I'm still dealing with this and uh, I hiked Kilimanjaro. What have you done? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and clearly this didn't kill you, but it re it's redefined who you are as a person it, before, before your injury. Would you, if you're like me, I, I part of my identity is that I'm a soldier. I'm a husband, a father and an American soldier. Would you agree that you, that you would say you were a Marine before a label that you have? And, and how would you now label yourself? Um, how would you identify yourself? Yeah. I mean, of course, like, of course, you know, the whole saying once a Marine, always a Marine and, and doing it wrong. I am so proud of, of my military service and, and being a Marine. But to me, like, that six years is a closed chapter now. And now it's up to me to write the rest of my story. Don't get me wrong. I can still take a few words out of that chapter and use them for the rest of my life. But now it's really, I've used the Marine Corps and what I've learned there as, as building blocks to, to really be, as you mentioned, the best version of myself now. Um, and just because I can't serve in the ways that I you know, was in the military doesn't mean that I can't help other people in other ways now. Um, I can still help those communities. I can still be a part of the brotherhood, if you will. I can still, you know, take care of the man or the, or the woman that stands to my left or my right. Um, but I do. I mean, I've, I have, I miss it, but I've closed that chapter on, on being a Marine. And yeah, I, I still use what I learned for sure. Uh, uh, you said something I really like that um, you don't have to, you, there's other ways to serve besides being in the military. You don't have to be wearing uh, I'm not paraphrasing, maybe adding to this. I can't remember exactly what you said now, but you don't have to wear the uniform to serve yeah. to serve. Um, is that how you would define success or how do you define success? Oh man, that's a tricky one. I don't know. I mean, for me, I don't, for my life personally, I don't know if I can define success. Um, because to me, I, I'm a very competitive person, but I don't compare myself to anybody else. I compete with myself day in and day out. You know, I look at what I did yesterday, yesterday and I say, okay, how can I be better, faster, or stronger? How can I accomplish this a little bit more? To me, I'll always be chasing success. You know, I don't think there's just, I don't think you can put everything under one label. But I will say, you know, to make one of my days successful, you know, as long as I feel like I've made an impact, as long as I've built on, you know, leaving my legacy when I'm gone, as long as I've helped one person, then I think that that's a successful day. I, I agree with you that that's how we should measure success is uh, the progress from where we were yesterday. Yes. And then, you know, I like how you said that you don't compare yourself to anyone else. And, and I think oftentimes that's, that's why we, we feel like a failure or we identify with failures because we're looking at this imaginary perception of somebody else making it. There's like this destination that they've arrived at. And I go, oh, if I can get there, I'll be, I'll, then I'll be better. I'll be good. I won't be suffering anymore. And really it, it's that they haven't arrived anywhere. They've just found a process that works for them to continually grow. And so if we, the key I think is to find the process that works for us. And what you're saying, that process for you is, did I make an impact today? And if you did, then that was that success. Would you agree with that statement? Yep. I think that we all, we should be striving to get outside of ourselves and, and be there for other people. And whether that's just at the grocery store, paying someone a compliment or holding the door open for someone, someone doing deliberately performing an act of service is, is a way that we can define success within ourselves. Absolutely. How would you define failure? Mm, I would define failure as just trying, you know, I, Failure is such an interesting word to me because I, I hate that it has this negative, you know, association. To me, it's it should we should view it as opportunity. 
We should view it as the time, the, the moment that we can become that better person, that moment that it could be the moments that catapult us into the best moments of our lives. Instead of running for failure, we should care enough to try. So whether it's a career or, you know, school or whatever it is, like at least you're putting yourself out there. At least you're making yourself uncomfortable enough to actually grow. I mean, if you're not failing, you're not growing. You're not evolving. You're not changing. Um, so, yeah, so fa failure is a special one to me, actually, because, I mean, I fail all the time. You know, I've had to turn around on mountains. I've, you know, lost in races. I've, I haven't gotten great grades sometimes in, on my college courses, whatever it is. Um, but I look at that and I say, okay, well, here's, here's another one of those measurements of success. I mean, that's kind of one of those things that, I mean, you could tie them directly in to one another. Success and failure go hand in hand. I mean, nobody immediately succeeds at everything they do. I mean, you look at like, a, like when a baby's learning to walk, they don't stand up one time and they fall down. They're like, oh, I'll never walk. I'm yeah. never going to be able to do this. No, they just keep going. They keep trying. And, and infants and children are some of the most resilient people of all. I think And we look back at that. At some point in our life, we were all that resilient. And yeah. so along the way, we lost that, that drive to keep trying and keep failing until we get it right. Why do, why do you think we lose that resiliency drive within us? What happens? Or is it society? Is it taught? Where do you think it comes from? I definitely think society teaches it. You know, again, you know, we, we let society define what our life is supposed to be. You think, we think because, oh, We've, you know, we've hit this certain mark, we're comfortable, we're not going to push ourselves any further, you know, we have what we should, you know, we're doing the things that we should. Um, but to me, that's just like sitting stagnant and settling. Um, I think because again, people put themselves in these situations that they feel okay, and then that's it. They just stop pushing themselves. Um, and and I, I think one of like the most amazing things about the mountains for me is the fact that it's, you are constantly pushing yourself. You're constantly finding out how resilient you are. Because to me, I mean, I don't think I would have realized how resilient I was in the hospital. Sure, I made it through my recovery and everything. But on the mountains, like you're not in control. You were you were the furthest thing from being in control. And so to see how seeing how you can adapt to that, like that shows you, I mean, what you're capable of in in the real world, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean I think people have just gotten so used to being comfortable. And I mean it, it yeah, it makes me cringe. <laughs> We, as human beings, we, the whole goal is to be comfortable. I think like that's, that's like within our, our natural survival technique is to, to be comfortable. Right. And, but when, when we find discomfort, that's where the opportunities for, for growth are. And I think we need to lean into that discomfort or just sit in it and deal with it and not escape it. Because when we escape it, that's when we're becoming stagnant. And that you're either living or you're dying. And what happens to stagnant water? I mean, it becomes undrinkable, right? I'll just put it that way. Period. <laughs> stuff grows in it, right? It becomes unuseful. And, and we as human beings, we become that way too. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I've ever been given? Hmm. Um, I think I, so I'll paraphrase it, um, but it's the mantra that I live by now. And it's kind of like I've taken bits and pieces of advice from different people, but it's the six inches between your ears and what's behind your rib cage that dictate what you're capable of. Um, so the moment that I realized, especially in the hospital or even, you know, today, the moment that I realized if I keep my head and my heart in the right place that I can overcome anything, especially physically, was when everything changed. You know, I... 
I can't control everything, but I can control how I react to certain situations. I can control what my emotions and my perspectives are. Um, yeah. And so that's what I would just encourage everybody, everybody to do. Your bucket list for these, these climbs is, is the seven peaks. What else is on your bucket list that you wish to, uh, or that you're going to accomplish in this life? Yeah. Um, so I'm very, uh, I have big dreams, <laughs> that way. Um, but no, I'd like to do the seven marathons, seven continents, seven days. I'd like to bike the great divide. So it's like a 2,600 mile transcontinental mountain bike ride. And then I'd like to swim the English channel. Um, again, lofty goals, but yeah, I'd like, I'd like to tackle those. I mean, I've really become addicted to endurance, um, just events again, challenging yourself and figuring out what you can really handle. Is that, is that the part that's a, so uh intriguing to you is is the you want to see if you can do it it's like to see like to find your metal like in that grit like see like what you're really made of absolutely yeah i mean it's all about pushing boundaries that's what it comes down to and you know in those moments too like there's so much to suffering and not that like i'm weird and want to suffer all the time but there's so much to suffering and there's so many components of and, and layers of what you feel in those moments that i'm constantly seeking those out. You know, you, you really learn who you are in those moments. You understand why you do the things that you do or why you feel the way that you do, or why you think the way that you do. Um, and so, yeah, time with yourself and, and time to be able to, to, to prove yourself. So if you were to describe yourself in one word, what would that be? So it's funny that you keep using the word grit, but I, the, as of late, the word that I, I really use to describe myself in the way that I've been living is gritty. Um, but I think so. Or in this case, probably stubborn. Stubborn probably. <laughs> the They're kind of synonymous with each other. So it makes me think of uh, one of the, the taglines I've come up with uh, for this mission, uh, uh, the metal mentality, is be metal and stay metal. And I think I'm going to have a new t-shirt made and I'm probably <laughs> going to say, stay gritty. Yeah, I love uh, it. It's such a good word. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I heard the word gritty, but I really like it. I'm going to start using it. That's my new word. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word. I love it. Uh, what, so what, of all these things that you've accomplished and all these things that you've endured, what are you most proud of? Um, honestly, I mean, I can't say that there's like one, you know, defining moment, but I would just say my growth um, and being able to take the situation that I was given and being able to use it for some form of good. Because even if I looked at the person that I was when I was in the military, I mean, sure, I mean, I, I was a good person. I, you know, I cared about other people for sure. But when I compare who I am now to who I was then, I, it really is. It's night and day. Um, I'm a much more, you know, selfless person now. I'm a much more determined person. I'm much, you know, I, I persevere totally differently than I did then. Um, and so I really would. I just be proud of the person that I am today and, and what I came from. Um, I mean, because it really is. It's, it's been a lot. And I think, I think that's something you should be proud of, the fact that you've been able to make such a positive impact in the world. And that, that's why I, I asked you to talk to my daughter today. That's why she's sitting here outside of the camera. If you're watching this on YouTube, she's here listening to this. Because there, we need positive role models in our lives. And especially, I think, um, our girls need positive female role, role models and positive leaders. I showed her some of your videos that I kind of, as we were emailing, I told you. And uh, as I was setting up, she said, Dad, can I sit in and, and, and listen? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I've invited her to come listen to a couple other interviews that I was doing. And she's like, oh, I'm good. 
I think that the way that you carry yourself, and as I mentioned this before, your character, it's not just something that we see, but it's something almost, it's almost like a sixth sense that we pick up when we see, we can feel the goodness coming and radiating from someone. And I'm not here like trying to stroke your ego or anything like that. But I, I just am trying to uh, emphasize the point that if you're suffering yourself, we all have the ability to reach a this imaginary destination we talked about that you're at. We all can make a positive impact for good. It's just a matter of are we willing to commit ourselves to being to do, following through? And when it gets uncomfortable, are we willing to remain uncomfortable and have that fortitude until it changes? Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about um, the label. I thought I said I don't mean to put labels on you or anything, but what and i truly don't that's i think labeling is is dangerous and that's kind of what leads me to my next question is when you were going through all your recovery the mental and the physical emotional parts of that did you label yourself and and what were the consequences of those labels you gave yourself oh absolutely um i think one of the um I think we all do it, but um, self-talk is huge. And I'm guilty of it to this day. Like if I'm on the mountains, I'm too slow or I'm not doing this right or I could have done this better. And I think especially like going through the hospital, I, I'd let other people label me and then I labeled myself. I had already, you know, put these, I gave myself predetermined limitations. You know, I let other people tell me and dictate how I'm going to live my life. And then I reinforced it. Um, and I think like the moment we can pull those labels off, you know, you're going to live a totally different life. The moment I stop looking in the mirror and saying, oh, you know, you're different or you're disabled or you're not like everyone else. Like in my mind, the moment I embrace my own, those things, no one can say anything. You know, you are truly like the captain of your own life at that point. Um, so yeah, sure. I mean, by definition, am I disabled? Absolutely. But the moment I can like take that word and own it, I'm not disabled anymore at all. You know, I'm absolutely capable of doing anything that I want. Um, so I think these labels, depending on how you use them and that self-talk associated with it, like they could be actually a really powerful and positive tool too. too. That, I love this, that owning the labels you put on yourself and others give you. Um, where did I hear it? It's from um, Game of Thrones. Remember when, um, uh, God, what's his name? He says, if you find your, your, your greatest weakness. And if you, you own it, then, then nobody can use it against you. And I'm, I'm totally butchering it, but you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you watch game of Thrones. So I'm like the 1% of the population that hasn't uh, watched game of Thrones, but I like the quote. <laughs> well, it's not even a quote. I admit, I'm we're just gonna have to edit this piece out, but no, <laughs> own when you own your failures and you own uh, your mistakes rather than, own them instead of allowing them to define you. Yeah. Uh, that's the key to success. That is the key to growth. And, and I think that when I've come to believe and, and from my own personal experience and come to know that from my weaknesses and from my, my failures that I let define me, taking ownership of them is where my superpowers came from. That's where my superhuman abilities have come from. And that's why when I, we began the introduction, um, that you losing your leg from my perception has been your, the catalyst for you becoming superhuman because the, the plane that you're, you're existing on is a, is a, that imaginary destination we all want to get to, I think. Yeah. I love that. Well, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, at a certain point I started thinking, thanking God that this happened to me. I mean, don't be wrong. It's, it hurts and it's terrible and I had to relearn everything and nothing about being on one leg. I'm, I'm in my wheelchair right now. You know, nothing about this is easy anymore. Um, but 
I'm grateful that it happened because had it not, I, I would, I'd still be doing the same things. I, I, I don't think I would have grown. I don't think I'd be living up to my full potential. I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd be where I am at all today. You know, in the end, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that it happened and it taught me so much. Just to say that you're grateful for something that would be, can be viewed so uh, catastrophic requires a level of humility to reach that point where you can say that. I don't mean to like make this show about me or anything like that, but as I've endured my, my own hell, I would call it, I, I reached a point where I too have become grateful for what, not, because, not grateful for the pain that I went through, but grateful for what I, it taught me and how it redefined me because I don't ever want to go through that again. And, and I hope I never do, you know, but when we um, have gratitude for our suffering, that that's a, a pivotal moment in our lives that we can have a real perspective change and accomplish things we would never, ever even have the possibility to do had that opportunity not arisen. But seeing, I guess, what I'm getting at seeing pain and suffering as an opportunity rather than a punishment or a consequence, I guess. Absolutely. Well, I think too, like, I mean, to your point, the moment that we can actually, again, express gratitude, but when you can do that, you're harnessing that suffering. You'll never suffer in that way ever again, because now you've learned so much, you have something to compare, to compare it to. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, expressing gratitude and, and harnessing your suffering, that's going to be my quote that I take. From this. <laughs> Great. I love it. That's good. So what advice would you have to offer someone who uh, is really struggling right now? If someone's listening to this right now and they were contemplating taking their own life, what would you say to them? I'd remind them, well, first, I'd remind them that this life isn't meant to be lived for yourself anyways. Um, so when I was going through that really hard time for me, that those dark, nasty places, I realized how selfish I was being because I was inflicting so much pain on other people. You know, I thought that by not being here, you know, I would, I would, I'd take away the burdens that I was putting on people. But the reality is people need you you know, people need and want you in their lives. So I, I really encourage people to, to, to look around, look around at the people that are still there for you, the people that are, that would wake up the next day and, and miss you. Um, and then beyond that, I would remind people to think about what you can control. You can't control what the world's been throwing at you, but what you can control are your perspectives and your actions. That's the only thing in life you're going to be able to control. Um, and so make them positive ones, make them ones that are going to be good for other people and good for yourself. That's awesome. Yeah, we're about to wrap up. Do you want to say bye? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. It was nice meeting you. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting her sit in here and talking to her. Yeah. Of course, she's cute. <laughs> Super cute. She's an incredible human being. I wish that I was that awesome when I was that young. And it's not because of me. It's probably because of my wife. <laughs> I know you got we're short on time here. I just have one final question for you. And it kind of goes along with the last question that you just answered. But if in the next, in the next 30 seconds, you were able to deliver a message to every single person in the world, and regardless of language, they can understand it. What would you say? You have 30 seconds. I have 30 seconds? It starts when, when you talk. So think about it. Mm. My legacy that I want to leave with anybody is just to use more of your potential and to spread kindness. That's it. I mean, I, I don't have this glorious speech to give people. I mean, I think life is meant to be lived pretty simply. Um, and I think at our core, you know, I think most people are good. And I think that we need to spread it. You know, we need to be able to spread that kindness and, and really love thy neighbor and look out for one another. So at the end of the day, 
people are all that we have. Rags or riches, any of it. Spread kindness and do more for the people around you. It doesn't have to be an epic speech, but that was pretty epic. <laughs> well, thanks. I noticed, uh, I think it was on, somewhere on social media, so I follow you, and when this, this whole virus stuff hit, he said, is there anybody in, my com- in, in the Valley that needs supplies? I'm going to the store. And, and then you have a little bit of notoriety in this world. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're kind uh-huh. of a big deal. And, uh, but that, that hasn't, that, that has only propelled you to do more great in the world. And, and the fact that you're willing to help your neighbors and people like that, I think that's why I wanted to talk to you. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. This is why um, I wanted to share your message is, is, you're the epitome of awesomeness. So I'm just leaving it at that. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, one of those things that like, I told myself no matter what, you know, even when I got the ESPY last year, uh, the Pat Tillman award, I told myself that being around all these celebrities and these athletes that the moment that I started to lose myself, I was going to quit. Um, and then, you know, a couple months go by and, and then I get an award from the Martin Luther King family in January 20 of 2020. And I told myself that, the one thing that I will remain is humble through all of this. Like I'm not going to lose my roots and went and got inducted to the international sports hall of fame. And I, again, sat there surrounded by these celebrities and these athletes and don't get me wrong. I did compare myself to some people in those moments. And, you know, I, I saw the person that I didn't want to be and I saw the people that I, you know, that I aspired to be like, um, and when it's all said and done, like I want to make sure that I, I never stop doing good by other people and living for other people. Um, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm special. You know, I, I think that I do. I think that we're all in this together and we need to show up for one another. Yeah, absolutely. We are all in this together and we, none of us will make it out alive without the help of someone else. And none of us will grow without the help of other people. And uh, all, I, I mean, I knew you received a bunch of awards, but as we're, we're looking, if you look behind you, the only award that are there are the ones that you the service to your country and you practice what you preach. So that's admirable. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to doing this. This has been incredible. It's been inspirational. It makes me want to be better. Uh, clearly I am thought I was being pretty metal, but I'm being more mediocre than metal right now. <laughs> <laughs> but right now I'm just trying to endure this homeschooling thing. And, the, and, uh, no, I can do that much, but there's all <laughs> excuse for everything. Right. But thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And, and sharing your message. And uh, it's been incredible. Thank you. Absolutely. I, I'm stoked to be here. And yeah, hopefully we get to interact again. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I want to, I want to send you something. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I have t-shirts. I'm, I don't have women's shirts yet. I, I can get them, but I have to order them in bulk and they're, I can't afford. <laughs> I can't afford a hundred t-shirts in women's, but this is uh, the t-shirt that I have on hand. If you can see. Yeah, it. for sure. Very cool. So there's this awesome. in the back. It's a, and I don't. It's probably all too big. Smallest yeah. men's medium. Um. So, but you can wear it to bed or something. <laughs> it's a nice. Shirt. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I really hope to be in touch with you more and work together in the future. Uh, this has been incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But so if you ever said anything, I can ever contribute to what you're doing. If you need help with anything, or if you just, uh, have someone that has a message that they would like to share, please send them my way. And 
I love to talk with them. And uh, if you know of anyone, if anyone comes to mind, uh, I'm always looking for awesome people to bring onto the show. So yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, yeah, hey, thanks so much and you have a great day. Alrighty, you too. We'll see ya. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, be sure to follow the Metal Mentality Podcast on social media. And as always, if you find value in the show, please leave a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. But more importantly, share this podcast with someone you know who would benefit from the messages from the guests on each episode. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Metal Mentality.